So welcome to another episode of the podcast. And my guest today is uh, Aaron Perry, who is uh, a professor at Wesley Seminary and uh, has re- how many books have you written, Aaron? Uh, written on my own, uh, three that I, I would kind of say are traditional traditional publishing. Okay, yeah, and uh, and we're going to talk today primarily about uh, your latest book, which is Kairos Care. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's about about pastoral counseling, an area that I'm not particularly strong in. So I'm looking forward to hear hear what you have to say about that. Well, maybe maybe stronger than you realize. I think that's part of one of the reasons I wrote the book is to is to kind of draw out of people skills that they already are deploying, but don't really realize that they're really effective in giving counsel, especially from the pastoral office, especially as a person who's giving spiritual care and spiritual direction. And so that's one of the reasons I wanted to write the book is to say, you're probably better at this than you realize. Okay, Greg, why don't we uh, why don't we back up before we get to that? Why don't we back up and uh, just give us a little bit of your spiritual bio, uh, like where you came from, how you grew up, uh, how you ended up being in ministry, those kind of things. I grew up in a in a Christian home in a little town called Shawville, Quebec. It's about an hour northwest of Ottawa. Uh, we were part of the Standard Church, and the Standard Church was one that uh, emerged with deep roots in revivalism and and pietism, camp meeting, and so that kind of uh, that kind of spiritual life is just in my blood. We went to camp meeting multiple times a summer in multiple camps sometimes, and saw my parents in ministry, and then ended up doing camp ministry, you know, for like thirty straight years or something like that, with in various ways from youth or teaching or preaching. And, and I really enjoyed uh, that revivalist setting, right? Enjoyed people uh, being excited about their faith, enjoyed people wanting to dig into scripture, really enjoyed that. And then somewhere along the line, uh, that just got connected with a, 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 an intellectual side as well, where I was like, I really love digging into the biblical text. And, and, I, and I really like asking and being asked questions that are, are beyond just superficial life. And I'd say that was part of my my uh, education at, at Bethany, now Kingswood, I uh, was able to go to seminary and really seeing those two aspects of his spiritual life uh, live in tension sometimes and sometimes live in balance has been something that I've just had to, to, to live with and learn with. Um, part of the reason I was able to hold that balance is both my parents were really committed in their faith uh, and they asked, they were willing to ask tough questions and they were willing to, to be really formed in a pietist tradition, you know, Spiritual disciplines prevalent in our home, and certainly we're going to be in church on a Sunday, uh, but also live that out, right? Live that out in the in the community and different things that they were active in, or different things that they got us active in as well. So uh, that that personal home life with the faith, and then living it out in public was something that was trying to be uh, modeled as well. And I would say my my call to ministry, Mike. This is actually uh, kudos to you. Uh, I remember where I was. I was at Zion Hill Camp, thirteen years old. <laughs> these are these are the things that you find out like years later, right? <laughs> yeah, Mike. Mike was preaching. You know, I, I don't. You know, and that was that was the night. I was like, I think I want to do this. Kind of ran from it for a little while. Uh, towards the end of high school, not in any kind of rebellious way. It's just kind of, I don't know. I don't know what the next step is, but I can see what the next step is to to study this and do and do this. When I started getting interested in other things, but the Lord made it really clear just by making me miserable for about three weeks in my last year of high school <laughs> that. No, that's not it. Like, like, don't do that. Don't go down that path. And so, uh, redirected, did a did a degree at at uh, Bethany now Kingswood, did a master's degree at Asbury Seminary, and then went into the into the pastorate um, uh, immediately immediately after after that. 
Yeah. So where were some of the places you pastored? Pastored in, uh, in Johnson City, New York, which was a great place. It's so amazing. I, I used to think about providence in the moment, right? Like God, God provides things right in the moment. And more lately, I've been thinking about God's providence in the, in the bigger, wider things. And the fact that I would get into a, into a city that was really uh, uh, racially diverse, Verse, which was different from where I grew up, uh, be in a city that had a had a university, be with a pastor who was so willing for me to make mistakes and try new things, and then kind of build me back up and and smooth out the road with uh, uh, Pastor Gary Sawyer. Um, I was for years, and I was in Brockville, Ontario, which was uh, I moved back to to Canada with uh, Eric Hallett for the next seven years. And so we were there uh, in both places, just had so many opportunities to uh, do organizational leadership, right? Organizing campaigns, organizing small groups, investing in leaders, developing uh, internship programs with some of our Wesleyan schools, uh, preaching uh, on fairly consistently. Um, just so many different opportunities that, that both those men gave to me in their churches. Yeah. And so how did you end up uh, moving from that into education? About well, education's been in our family. So my my dad was in education, my mom was in education, one of my brothers is in education. It's just kind of been around us. And uh, and the way my dad led led as a principal is teachers were often often in our home. And so I just, you know, that was just kind of the the flavor of things. And there's always books put into our hands, right? Like we we were they were educators, but they also believed in education as well. And so always around that was something that just got into the life dream of what we were doing. And I'd say even when I was in the pastorate, that was something that was so important to me is how can I educate people, right? The the revivalist aspect of my faith, like it's beautiful, but it can also wane. And so sometimes you got to shore that up with education stuff that that draws people back, that stays secure and solid whenever some of the motions uh, are falling for a little bit of time. You don't feel like it. You don't feel the, the faith as strongly. Um, whenever I was at uh, Centennial Road Church uh, in Brockville, uh, Eric said to me, he's like, I don't care what it is, but you got to do, you got to do a doctorate in something. Cause I was kind of antsy and chomping at the bit and asking these questions. And I actually had started a PhD in theology and had done that for a few years while I was in the pastorate in New York, but had to just came to a point where I had to say, okay, I, I can't do both of these. Which am I going to do? They're both, uh, I just can't handle the weight of both and decided to stay in pastoral ministry. So a few years later, whenever Eric said that to me, I said, you know what, I got to I'll pay attention to that, you know, and he said, we'll give support and, and I'll recognize that this is, you know, a significant undertaking. So given that, that prior work in theology I'd done and the nature of that program, I knew I just needed lots of support. I needed a plan that was mapped out with, with classes and assignments and step-by-step step just to keep me on, on track and found a, a degree in organizational leadership at a Regent university. And this was back in, uh, in, when did I start sometime in 20, I think it was 2011. And so it was pretty much on the cutting edge of online at that point, you know, not, not many were doing <laughs> now online. everyone is online, right? That's right. So. You know, it was in 10 years, everything, everything switches. So my, my degree was all online. And so I was able to stay in the pastor. I'm doing this. And I love seeing how uh, those things wed together, thinking about the church as an organization. It's a unique kind of organization. And then studying organizational leadership, seeing those brought together was really interesting to me. I uh, finished my PhD in 2015 and uh, the Lord opened the door to come to Wesley Seminary to start to train pastors. Yeah. And so uh, just for those who might not know, like where, where are you located? Where, are you, where, where am I talking to you from right now? 
I, I am I am now in, in Marion, Indiana. So Wesley Seminary is one of the Wesleyan Church is the Wesleyan Church's seminary. Uh, it's located at Indiana Wesleyan University, but I like to we like to have partnerships with all the schools that are going on, Indiana Wesleyan, Oklahoma Wesleyan, Kingswood Houghton, Southern Wesleyan, of course. And that's uh, I think describes so much of the spirit of education the Wesleyan Church wants to do. Yeah, so you're right. You're literally in in the the middle of Middle America. You're I'm right here, man. The the, the crossroads state. Indiana is the crossroads state. You know, the, the beginning of the Midwest. I think one of the things that's kind of unique about you, uh, Aaron, and maybe uh, and, and what you described is probably you know probably feeds into this, but uh, you're just such a great balance of the practical, like and the pastoral and and also the intellectual and the theological. And that's that's kind of a rare combo to have both of those streams running at the same time. They they shouldn't be an either or, but sometimes they are with people. Well, thanks so much for saying that, Mike. Man, it's it's uh, I love to learn. And I'm like, why would I close down any avenue where I can learn? And ministry really is one of those those professional contexts where it is deeply practical, right? There are things to do and those things are so often changing and there are things to know and there are questions to ask. And so uh, both of those are avenues from learning. And if I can learn from people who know how to do things better than me or not, who, or who have thought about something longer and, and more deeply than I have, then I absolutely want to learn. Yeah. And you're one of those professors that's out like doing camps in the summer. And uh, I think the last time I saw you in person, we were, we were both doing uh, Silver Lake Camp. Yeah, man. Oh, that uh, was great. I think I think we were able to sing uh, "Man of Constant Sorrow" as part of a skit together as well. Oh, yeah, and it's all you know. Whenever you can, uh, whenever you can get into bluegrass, it's it's a great camp, right? So <laughs> it, it, it was good. It was a good. Memory. It's a good memory for me. So uh, talk a little bit about uh, about your your book and uh, and uh, just uh, you know pastoral counseling. Yeah. Let, let me say it in, in two ways. One is I was never really drawn to counseling as a field of education. And so I did my counseling classes that were part of my degree at, at Kingswood. And then I find myself in the pastorate and I'm like, you just can't get away from it. And I was amazed how so often counseling conversations just bubbled up, right? They bubbled up in leadership training. They bubbled up in when I'm having coffee with with uh, friends. They, they bubble up after the service when people are, are seeking some kind of uh, wisdom for their life that they apply in a practical situation uh, to address a real context that's going on. So that was one thing I was like, Oh, you just can't get away from it. Like if you want to be in the pastorate, if God has called you to pastoral ministry, then you are going to do some kind of counseling. It's just going to be there. The other side of it uh, that, that, um, that bubble that kind of introduces it is I was introduced to this model called a, a Kairos moment. And that came along somewhere in my, in my pastor. It wasn't in, it wasn't in education. And, and I just saw the wisdom of it and started to uh, employ it in my own pastoral work. It's a, it's a pretty intuitive process that involves listening and clarifying and having conversation and discerning what's the, what's the change that you want to have happen. And then, and then kind of building up, uh, ways, effective ways to bring about that change. So I was introduced to this model. So I've got the the practical experience. It can't get away from pastoral counseling in the pastorate. I've been given this model, and I realize like, oh, I've been doing some of this, but this is strengthening what I've been doing. And then I and then I start to teach. And the the nature of a seminary is a lot of our classes have been. Uh, 
uh, were pre-designed. So I come in, I don't have to start from scratch. I'm able to take and tweak a class that's already, uh, that's already existing. And so some of the counseling that I'm, that I'm teaching, I'm in conversation with people who are already in the pastorate. And it was amazing that some of these students, they would say, uh, some of them would say, I give one session and that's it. And then I'm all done. And then I'd have others who would say like, oh, I'd spend six months or a year in counseling with a parishioner before I'd ever, before I'd ever say, you know, that, that, uh, you know, might be time to see somebody else. And, and both from the literature and then intuitively I'm saying, okay, for pastoral ministry, I don't think either one of those are going to work one, because if you just say I do one session and then I'm done, you're really missing an opportunity to build relationships with people. You're really missing an opportunity to actually see God's work in people's lives in practical ways. And frankly, if you're spending six months in pastoral counseling, then that person probably needs to see a professional counselor. They probably need to see somebody that's got skills and perspective and abilities that you and training that the, the pastor just doesn't develop. And so that's when I started to work with uh, some of the literature and then this Kairos model in my own experience to develop uh, this model of pastoral counseling that uh, we call Kairos, Kairos Care. Yeah. And how would that, how would you distinguish that from, you know, uh, other forms of counseling or where, you know, when people hear that word, uh, certain things jump into their mind, like what makes it unique? Well, the pastor is all about care of souls. And we don't think about souls as something that's distinct from the body. A better way to think about the soul is the whole of oneself stretched over time, right? It's the whole of oneself stretched over time oriented towards God. And so when people are interested in coming to the pastor for wisdom, they're interested in how do I help put my life together before God in a way that's honoring and in a way that's going to enjoy the full blessing of God in a way that's going to be deployed by God in ministry and start to see a rationale and start to see a, a connection over my whole life. Right? Talk about providence. How can I my whole as a gift, especially as it comes to this moment, right? Nobody comes to, for the, to the pastor for counseling unless something has gone wrong. Right. Something has gone wrong. They're sick of something that's that's kept on going or, or something has emerged into their life that can really threaten kind of the coherence or the the form of their whole life can threaten the meaning. And they're like, I need to talk to somebody who will bring God into this conversation because this whole thing is kind of threatened or I'm just sick of this repeated pattern um, in my life. So uh, what distinguishes pastoral counseling from certainly from clinical counseling is the pastor is always keeping front and center. Uh, how is it with this person's soul? And one of the benefits of pastoral counseling is that it can go, go alongside other counseling. So people might need to see a clinical psychologist, or they might need to see a family, uh, a licensed family marriage therapist. They might need to see somebody else who's got distinct training. And yet the pastor can offer pastoral counseling uh, alongside in a way that's helping to give coherence and uh, wholeness to this person's life, to this person's soul. Yeah, so it's more of a, it's like a big picture kind of approach uh, to, to whatever problem the, the person is, is going through, right? Yeah, it's, it, it's uh, and, and not just big picture, but that is part of it. But also, how does this fit into the whole, the whole other people, both in the one's relationship with the church, one's calling to ministry, um, to serve in the church, to be in mission outside the church. How do all these things start to interact so that there's a coherence, so that there's a, a, a rationale that brings, that binds the whole soul together? Yeah. Part of the, part of the revivalist, uh, part of the, I, I love, I, I'm uh, kind of a revivalist at heart. And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm realizing, you know, I've been realizing over the last few years that, uh, you know, in a lot of, in a lot of uh, modern 
modern versions of Christianity, we've kind of done away with, we've done away with uh, like the altar call. And uh, in some of those points of contact where you could really speak into people's lives at key moments. And uh, so, uh, so uh, I, I see pastoral counseling as uh, something that kind of fills that, that gap, those, those conversations that you would have, uh, you know, when a person's right there at kind of at the point of a crisis or something happening in their life. That's absolutely right. You use the phrase key moments. That's what, you know, Kairos is about. Is it a moment in time, a charged moment? And the, the fact is these moments come along, but if they're not supported and they're not analyzed and they're not, and people aren't uh, delving deeply into obtain some clarity about what change they want to see and then develop a plan is those moments can then skip by us. I like to say it like this. Uh, whenever I lived in Brockville, uh, we lived near the busiest highway in Canada, the, the 401. And uh, there's one time if I was going to visit family in Ottawa, I would go 401 East and then 416 North. If I was uh, going to visit family in New York, I was going 401 West. Okay. So uh, that's how it was. And uh, there's one time I'm in town and normally when I was in town, I was going East. And this time I, I was needing to go West. And so course i get going east and i'm like oh man i'm going i'm going the wrong way uh and you can't you can't just like pull a u-turn on the 401 right you gotta like find an off ramp <laughs> you know find the right spot uh to get to get turned around and kairos moment is kind of like, it's kind of one of those times where it, like it's an off ramp like oh this is this is the moment that i've got to get i got to make the change but if you don't have a good plan then you're just not going to know where you're going right the, the moment comes and you want to take advantage of it but but you can get going the wrong way again pretty easily unless appropriate support analysis of like, well, why did this, why did this event come out in the first place? Or why do you want to see a change or, or um, you sense God leading in this direction? Let's, let's explore that and see, is this God or is this what you ate last night? Or is this kind of the fruit of the last six months of turmoil that you've been going through, right? You want to develop, do some analysis and you want to develop some support in a way that's going to let you be turned around for the, the long haul. Yeah. And, and, you know, and missing, if you miss those moments, it may be a while before the moment comes again. Yeah. You can't control it. It's kind of like when you miss that when you miss that exit you're supposed to take. You're like, okay, it's another twelve kilometers now before yeah. I, you know, I get to turn around. So that's exactly right. Like you, you can get turned around when you're going the wrong way, but you can't always get turned around exactly when you want. And that's part of the mystery of grace is that God's prevenient grace. God is keeping us from let's to keep with the road analogy. God is keeping us from going into the ditch. You know, God is keeping us from crashing. But God, in His wisdom, knows when the time is right to be turned around knows when the time is right that if you get off this exit, you're going to be able to avoid some pitfalls and maybe you're going to find some good companions along the way to help the turnaround be long lasting and effective. Do you, do you, uh, do you sense that some of the kind of classic, uh, classic gifts that uh, play into the pastoral role uh, have, have been lost in some of the modern, uh, like more of the businessy CEO type of uh, versions of the pastor? Like is, is pastoral counseling something that is, is uh, kind of rarer and, and being lost or, or do you see like it coming back? I definitely see it coming back in part because I think people know that they want pastors. They want somebody who is actually trained and equipped and gifted to help care for their soul, who isn't, uh, isn't just about 
running an organization, although that's absolutely part of it. And so there's all these things run in waves, right? You know, we have we have a, a problem and there's a correction and that turns into an overcorrection. Then you've got another problem that swings back. So there's always that that kind of uh, pendulum swing. I absolutely see God bringing about a desire for people to shepherd and pastor others, that there is a there is a, a, a growing desire to recover that kind of classic model of pastoral care of souls. But in the midst of that, you've got people who are also keen not to miss that, okay, the church is still an organization, right? It still has forms to fill out. It's still got, uh, it's still got organizational problems that need to be addressed. It's still going to have to have some, some uh, skills and leadership, whether it's vision casting or whether it's um, performance reviews or whatever else that, you know, we don't really necessarily think of, of the classic model of pastoral care, although I think it, I think those can be there. Um, but I do think that God is in the midst of developing pastors who are wanting to hold both of those things together in their ministries. Yeah. And uh, particularly, uh, yeah, you guys are probably down in Indiana. You uh, you're probably in a different spot in terms of, of COVID than where we are here. Uh, but uh, it, it seems to me like as we, as we're coming out of COVID that, uh, that some of the models of churches are changing and, uh, and there will be more of an emphasis kind of on the individual again and on smaller groups and uh, yeah, more pa- pastoral approach in ter- instead of the uh, huge crowd, big event, mega church, you know, kind of approach. Yeah. And, you know, the church has always been changing. The church has always been trying to find methods that are going to be effective at bringing about faithful discipleship. And, you know, sometimes we get fall in love with the methods and sometimes we kind of become blind to what the methods are and what the, what their weaknesses are. And no doubt we're going to find some weaknesses to methods that we're deploying now, or we're going to find some pitfalls to them that we haven't yet anticipated. That's just the nature of it, right? Whenever you're trying to have a, a dynamic response to a dynamic person who Jesus is with a, a beautiful message, then you're, you're going to make some mistakes and thank God that he has grace for us in that and is even able to take those mistakes and you know causes to kind of laugh at ourselves or causes to bring <laughs> it still brings good out of them right yeah and a, a lot i mean so much of our uh, our models of ministry depend on how we're wired as well because we're all gifted differently and which is why i think ministry is always a team a team effort uh so i don't see i don't see counseling as like a, a one of my strengths uh for sure i I tend to do better with, uh, with crowds and I tend to be more, uh, I speak more prophetically. Uh, uh, I, am often more of a challenge than a comfort. And so I might be one of those, uh, you know, one of those like one and done kind of my counseling would be, this is exactly what you have to do. And then I don't know if I would, if the person doesn't do it, I don't know if I would have the patience like to kind of hang in there with them, uh, you know, through, uh, just through the process, right? Well, and that, that's when you, you start to see, like, how can I expand what my vision of pastoral counseling is? Because if you had somebody come to you and, and you see potential in them and they, and they say, but I've got this, this barrier, this barrier, that barrier, and you're able to say, okay, let's explore why are those barriers? And then you're able to say, you're able to see often in them, what's a, what's a good future look like for you? If you're able to overcome those barriers, you're often able to see in the other person, what's God up to in them. And that, that can be a prophetic thing, right? That's often a prophetic voice when you're, you're able to speak over somebody that, no, like, like you've got this future in mind, but let me tell you, I see this and that. And if you see a person who's got good faith and goodwill and they're following 
uh, encouragement and they're responding to God, you would meet with them more than once, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. and, And here's the thing. Nobody, this is so important. Nobody comes to the pastor hoping that their life just never changes right? They don't want to be in counseling for months and months and months. If somebody needs months and months of counseling, they need to see, they need to uh, a counselor, somebody who's going to be able to do clinical work. That's not the pastor's call, right? The pastor, the person who's coming to the pastor is wanting to see some life change and probably fairly quickly. And if they're willing to put in the work, then man, I think so many people are willing to, to deploy their skills in listening and then conferencing, right? Getting to clarity, what is God doing? And then to develop a plan that the person's able to start to see this change, take root and be effective uh, and receive encouragement along the way as they're putting this plan into place. Yeah. What are some of the issues? Like what, what would be the big issues that uh, pastors would be dealing with uh, like at, at the moment? What are, uh, if there was like a, a top three kind of areas of, of counseling, uh, do you have any insight on that? Yeah, I think, I mean, I look at my own experience and even the the work I do with my students and these are often informal, but the, the process often takes a similar similar case. One is discerning call, right? There's a certain malaise or frustration or angst in what I'm doing and what I'm spending so much of my time at. Is God is God leading me in a new direction? You often have relationship challenges where somebody's just not getting along or they've they've grown bored or or they think somebody else has grown bored with them. They want to they want to sort out some kind of problem uh, in a relationship. And then the other one might just be a set of habits that they're like, I got to you know, it's not, it's not to the level of, of addiction. And whenever you're dealing with addiction, there might be a place for pastoral counseling, but there's probably a place for some clinical counseling as well. Some uh, with a licensed counselor. Um, but maybe, maybe habits that a person just says, I got to develop some new habits and patterns in my life. And, and how can I do that? And then you're deploying some systems to think about, well, how have those unhelpful habits developed that you got to change, right? You got to, the pastor's able to give a, a whole look at it. So those three, right? Calling, where's God leading me? Relationships, how can this relationship be more fruitful? And how do I establish a new kind of spiritual rhythm in my life? Yeah, and just, um, you know, I find just even a couple of key questions, like, if, you know, whatever decisions you're making, uh, if you're, if I stop and I ask, the, if I ask the question, is this feeding my spirit or is this feeding my flesh? And if I ask the question, is this leading me towards freedom or is it leading me towards bondage? Just, just those two questions alone can, uh, can be great steering mechanisms in, in terms of like habits and, and uh, just because uh, often we do things in patterns without thinking, without just oh, really yeah. thinking of the consequence. Yeah, we we are put into patterns before we even we even realize it. And th- and when you're able to think about things in systems, then you say, oh, even when a person will be able to come to a, a a conclusion and say, you know what, that that is feeding my flesh. Um, that's not feeding my spirit. It's feeding my flesh. It's 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 giving me a, a momentary boost. It's not giving me sustained spiritual energy. Then itself is a pattern you're able to go back and ask well what is drawing you into that what makes that the easier choice than another choice because there's no shortage of spiritual resources that people can can avail themselves of now right so you're able to kind of take a step back and and do some analysis that people often they can often come to these conclusions with the help of god on their own but what a gift that god gives to us in the church and so often we we miss the the opportunity for fellowship because we haven't taken the the 
we haven't received the blessing of, of accountability as well. And fellowship and accountability just go together. If you want fellowship with others and you have to be able to receive accountability from them. And if you, if you're willing to give accountability, then fellowship can be so often what's uh, the fruit of, of good accountability. Yeah. And I mean, and the Holy spirit is the counselor, like is the primary counselor, obviously in our, in our Christian faith. But uh, just as, just as in the same way that, uh, that we, that we need fellowship and we need the church, we, uh, we often need that human voice to, to say something to us, uh, you know, guided by the Holy spirit. One of the, one of the things that I emphasize in the book as well is the, is the final step, which is, uh, following up or making sure the person is is well escorted back into the church. And this was one of the mistakes I made early in ministry is people would come to me and, it, you know, whether we were calling it pastoral counseling or not, that's essentially what it was, some kind of pastoral counseling relationship. And they'd see a measure of amelioration, improvement, transformation, change. And then I was like walking them right up the church door because they'd want a fresh start. It was like I had known something or the church, you know, they had kind of grown out of out of maybe a habit of being in the church. And I was the last connection. And I was just walking them out the door to another church. And one of the things that pastors have to be so intent on is saying, yeah, sometimes that happens. Sometimes people find a new church. But so often God is using that pastoral counseling conversation for a person to be both reminded of their calling to serve in the church and to be equipped that they're now a person who's going to be able to shepherd somebody else through a challenge in their life as they're bringing this kind of health and, and spiritual life into the, into the life of the church. And so pastors have to be so, and have the privilege of reminding people that pastoral counseling isn't about a person achieving their best life. It's about a person moving back into the community of the church to resource it and to equip it and to be involved in mission and ministry. Uh, and, and I think often in the church that they're already a part of. Yeah. And uh, John Mark Comer talks about, uh, you know, how often uh, the way we approach things can be just, you know, we do a spiritual version of project self, you know, and, and that's not really what it's about. It's not, it's not, it's not about us and it's not about project self. It's, it's about, uh, it's about being equipped to, to help others. And so do you see, um, Often when we experience, you know, uh, when we experience a moment with God through something, then we're able to, we're able to take that to other people and pass it on. So do you see uh, lay people as part of this process as well, like, like in the workplace uh, with their friends or family uh, being able to provide that same kind of counsel? Absolutely. Uh, and that's part of the reason that, that developing a model was so important to me because I fairly linearly. And, you know, I get into these, come of these conversations and, and, you know, I'd be, I'd be worn out. I'd be tired. I wouldn't have the capacity for curiosity into what God is doing. And so whenever I started to develop a, a process or see how the process, this Kairos process that somebody else taught me in another context, how it applied, I said, anybody can learn this. Is it kind of involved? Yeah, it's kind of involved, but it's still pretty intuitive, right? As far as how you're going to attend and listen, clarify, and then see how they're planned. I think, I think Christians can be wonderful gifts into the church. I think it was, um, uh, uh, who's, who is the fellow? It, it's not, uh, Henry cloud. I can't remember his, um, I can't remember his name. It's, it's slipping me at the moment, but, uh, he talked about so much of his work as a counselor could be done just by a good friend, right? A, a person right, who's right. willing to be 
a person who's got some wisdom, who knows the Lord, who's willing to attend to the other person relationally and not make a conversation about them. And who's also not just going to let the conversation be about the other person, but who's going to be intent that God's really doing something in their life can be wonderful friends in whatever place God places them, workplace, family, extended relationships, online uh, avenues, online, online uh, spheres. Absolutely. I think, I think God is so often equipping the whole church to be people who will uh, be resources and good listeners and, and able to develop plans and be people who will be faithful as others are trying to develop new lives that will honor God. Yeah. You, you just described my wife. You just described Colleen who basically has the free, you know, because she doesn't have to, to work uh, has the freedom to basically uh, she just builds relationships and, and goes around uh uh, counseling, even though it's not called that, uh, but, you know, basically just like sharing what the Lord has done in her life and sharing the wisdom that she's learned with people who are maybe kind of on the road, but, but a little, a little further back and, and looking for some, just looking for a friend, looking for some help along the way. That's one of the things I encourage pastors to do. And you were of we should of course be encouraging every person in the church to do this is to develop a handful of testimonies that give praise to what God has done in your life. That has some kind of analogical parallel connection to what maybe God is doing in somebody else's life. So, you know, Scott McKnight uses the metaphor of a, of golf clubs when he's talking about the atonement. And you can use the same thing with developing a handful of testimonies that there are some that is, okay, this is the big testimony. It's the driver, right? I'm going to bring right. it out. This person's going to get like the full air and story. And there's other times it just needs a little pitching wedge. It's like, Oh man, you know, there was a time, when uh, I was miserable for three weeks, you know, I was just really miserable and I knew God was doing something in my life. And I just had to make a radical change, you know, and suddenly in 30 seconds, I've told them a little bit about something that God has done in me. So that creates a relationship and that they know that what is happening in their life. And maybe they use language of God because they're a Christian or they're a person who's got some spiritual interest, or maybe they, they use other language, but of course the Christian's going to know, no, this is the Holy spirit at work in this, in their life. Even if they don't yet know it's the Holy spirit. And if you've developed three, four five testimonies that you can share that have different lengths and have different purposes and are used in different contexts, then you can engage in those conversations that start to draw more out of the person where they start to see uh, more clearly, Oh, something is, something is taking root in my life. Something is changing in my life. There's something that I want to go toward and I don't want to go back from it. Right. Yeah. And, and so, and you're right. Like some, we often do things intuitively uh, and then, and then later on uh, kind of put the organization, like recognize what it is uh, and draw the organizational kind of thing around it. But uh, I think a lot, I think a lot of the, a lot of the kind of the wise people that I've looked to for counsel have, have learned to do that intuitively, even though they may call it something different. Uh, but, but that pattern that you described with the testimonies, uh, I've seen that work. I've seen that work many times. And, you know, I look at, at parts of my life and when, when something comes to me naturally or, or intuitively, and then I look back and I'm like, Oh, but I missed so many opportunities. Like, was the job done? Sure. The job got done, but I missed so many opportunities. And so the, the, the challenge I had to give to myself was I've got to bring us into a system so that I don't look back with the measure of like, Oh, that is what I should have said. Right. Like, Oh, right. I definitely should, you know, Oh, I could have done that. And so, you know, intuitive people um, often do, do so many things really well and they can just have those expanded with a bit of a process or with a bit of a bit of a system. And then the people who are systematizers kind of, I need to be like less wooden where it's like, okay, no, no, we're going to step three. We actually need to be at step one still. Okay. Can you go back? You know, we got to, you know, they got to be a little right, less wooden. Right. There's, 
because conversations always have a flow, right? And the pastoral counseling always has a kind of flow. And sometimes, you know, this is amazing what God does. Sometimes people will come to the pastor and they think the problem is A, and then they start having a conversation. They're like, wait a second, it's not even B or C. The problem is actually D. You know, I didn't even know it. You know, there's there's a there's a there's a kind of life to it. There's a kind of rhythm to it that you can't just you can't just systematize, but it's also good to have some kind of picture in mind that allows you to have a flow to it. Right, right. Yeah. And I think uh like I think if there was any time, you know, in recent history where people are kind of needing counsel and and open to counsel, like I was just reading yesterday, uh like a stat about how how over the last two years like the divorces have shot up, you know, because of the pressures that that lockdowns and restrictions and COVID and you know all of that has brought on people's lives. So I think I think uh, I think you're right. I think there's like a new wave of of uh, pastoral counseling opportunities coming for the church. Uh, is there anything uh, in it kind of in closing? Is there anything uh, that you haven't said uh, or that like you advice you want to give to people in terms of uh, in terms of counseling? And I would, I would say what you start with is so important, which is just the listening posture. And there's a fine line. Sometimes you can get into listening and you're like, this person is telling me the same story over and over and over again, and there's no change. And you got to find ways out of that or to, to present a, a challenge to it. So the person doesn't get stuck in a rut with the story. And you're like, but that's not the story God wants to tell, right? There is, there is an art and a craft to listening. And I would say uh, to people have that listening posture online because people really want to be listened to. And I know sometimes it's like, especially social media, like they pull out the bullhorn, like the megaphone and they're like, (laughs) everybody listen to me right now. And I've found that sometimes like observing what they've said and then kind of taking it out of the public and just being willing to listen on a personal conversation, a private chat, maybe, or a phone call or video chat that, that people are really ministered to when others are really willing to listen. And it doesn't mean agreeing with everything. It doesn't mean, you know, I get into that in the book, like what listening is and what it isn't, but people really want to be listened to. And in fact, we have a need to be listened to. God created us as communicative beings. And so that actually comes from the prompting and the creation of God that we want to be listened to. And so whenever you see somebody like demanding to be listened to, keep that in mind, like, oh, there's something divine about this. Yeah, maybe they're going a bit of the wrong way. Maybe they've, you know, over amp their microphone. Um, but how can I actually listen to this person to kind of get at what the the angst is that they're experiencing to to show them that God is a listener. And this is one of the stories that uh, really informed my my conviction on this is how when the people of Israel were uh, in Egypt, God heard their cries, right? And God hears because God is attuned, because God is attending to us, because God's full presence is with us and God is listening to us. And so whenever we listen, we're doing something that another person needs, and we're also doing something that God does for us. So it's hard work. It's not easy. It takes skills, but absolutely very important and something that everybody can grow in. So, So where can people get your book, Aaron? Well, Mike, the book is available <laughs> at booksellers everywhere. Uh, I, I mean, you can get it at christianbook.com. Uh, you can get it directly from the publisher, which is Abingdon Press. So uh, searching up Abingdon Press, you can get it, of course, from uh, from Amazon or other other uh, online retailers have it, have it too. Kairos Care, uh, subtitled A Process for Pastoral Counseling in the Office and in Everyday Encounters. Uh, you can find it online. Okay, awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to... Uh, to do this today. I really, really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you did too. I did. Thanks, Mike.
All right, I'm going to uh, I'm going to uh, stop our recording.